Greetings, Earthlings, or better yet, hello, friends. Hope you guys are doing well. Thanks for tuning in to Mavericks and Misfits today. Pray that you're being blessed. Um, I don't know where you live, but where I live, um, we're in a yellow snow season. Not that kind of yellow snow. What am I talking about? I'm talking about pollen falling from the ground, coating our cars, coating our um, streets. Uh, pollen is everywhere. And um, although I love spring, I mean, I really do. It's my favorite season of the year, singing seeing dormant things come back to life, dead things starting to turn green. I love it. But the nasty byproduct is that there is pollen everywhere. And so if you are uh, down here in the Bible Belt in the southeastern part of the United States, you are probably sucking in some pollen along with your host today. And so if I sound a little froggy, that's the reason why. Um, Just in case some of you want to try this, I know a lot of people that um, are getting a little bit more, um, intense in their allergies. Um, it's, I don't know what it is. I never had any allergies at all until I was in my mid forties. Like it never bothered me growing up when I got my mid forties, man, the pollen in the spring just started killing me. And I don't remember where I saw it, but somebody said, Jeff, if you take a spoonful of Manuka honey, And it's not just honey, but Manuka honey, M-A-N-U-K-A, Manuka honey. If you'll take a spoonful every day right before the pollen starts hitting and then continue during the pollen season, you'll you'll not wrestle with the headaches and the sinuses and all the throat stuff that pollen causes. And uh, so back in the day, I was desperate. And so I I weaned myself off of um, like over-the-counter allergy medicine. And just started taking the natural stuff, the Manuka honey. And I don't really have a ton of issues, especially the headaches and the sinus stuff. My throat sounds a little a little raw, but um, that Manuka honey helps. So I'm just throwing that out there. If any of you are battling allergies and you've never tried just the simple dosage of um, Manuka honey, you can get it off of Amazon or any of your local you know, organic health stores. Um, but it does need to be Manuka and it'll cost you a little bit. I think a jar that I that I use that gets me through the season is like forty bucks, but um, it's so worth it. And so if you, you if you want to try that, I encourage you to do so. All right, that's the podcast for today. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. No, totally kidding. Um, I do want to pivot here for a second, and I want to just speak to you about something that um, I never talk about. I never ever talk about. Not at least at least not on this podcast. I do. As a pastor over the years, we talk about this, and it's a vital part of the kingdom. And fortunately, I've just, um, I've always been led of the Lord to um, touch on this thing biblically when I'm preaching through certain books of the Bible, especially back in the day when my whole ministry was just start at verse one in a book of the Bible and preach it all the way through. We would cover the topic of wealth and finance and money uh, anytime the scriptures mentioned it. And so in the past several years, I've been more in a thematic uh, teaching of the scriptures where uh, I pastor. And that means I'll I'll listen to the Lord. What is the Lord saying? What is the Lord doing? And then I will expound Bible passages that kind of attach itself to what I hear the Lord saying prophetically and in the spirit, but always bring it back to the scriptures. And honestly, I just haven't really heard the Lord speaking to me personally a lot about wealth and finance, but um, it's not because I'm afraid to talk about it, and it's not because the Bible doesn't talk about it. Jesus actually talked a lot about wealth. Paul wrote a lot about wealth, and so um, you have plenty of coverage in the Scripture, and there's a whole ton of different angles I could go on on this. I could 
you know, talk to you about how God blessed and prospered so many people that were loyal and faithful to him, then I could also talk to you about the opposite end of the spectrum where Paul talked about living in poverty and knowing how to be content in whatever state he was, whether he had much or little. And so where I would give clear pushback on just the presumption that if you're walking in the spirit and you're walking with the Lord, you're going to have financial wealth no matter what. Um, I don't believe that. I don't think that gospel works in impoverished places of the earth. If it's true, it's got to work everywhere. And so I'm very careful with the overt prosperity gospel, but also I don't have a poverty gospel. I don't have this mindset that says money is wicked, money is evil, and if you have money, you're probably outside of the will of the Lord. That's nonsense too. Ultimately, money is a tool by which Christians are entrusted to um, advance the kingdom, to make the fame of Jesus great in our generation. Money's a tool. It's just like any spiritual gift that you have. You use your gifts for the glory of God. You do so intentionally, you do so sacrificially, and you do so at the highest level you possibly can. Well, it's no different than money. Um, the problem is, is that there's been so many, um, you know, notable reports over the decades about uh, kingdom leaders or church leaders or pastors or TV evangelists or, um, you know, individuals that have position and authority in the kingdom that use that position and authority to enrich themselves at the expense of people. And because of that, there's kind of a bad taste in the mouths of a lot of us as followers of Jesus that we just prefer not to talk about this stuff. The problem is, is you've got new people coming into the kingdom all the time. And if they don't hear what the word of God says about what the Lord himself expects of Christians and their money, then we are doing them an incredible disservice because if nobody's talking about it, how do they learn what God says? You know, people, you know, back in the day, it was just kind of a given. You get saved and you start tithing. That means you give 10% of your gross or net income, depending on who's teaching you. I always did gross. Um, the guy that led me to Christ back in the nineties, um, he was happened to be my boss. And, um, we, we had a conversation one day and I was broke. I was a new Christian. I was sober. I wasn't going to bars. I wasn't blowing my money on foolishness. I didn't have any money though. And so after about three months of being saved, he said, well, what are you spending your money on? And I'm like, well, I'm just living my life. And he said, well, let's write down your bills and write down. And so I wrote down everything that I was, I was coming in this is probably about 30 days into my salvation. It wasn't even far out. Um, it was very early on. And then he said, well, where's your tithe? I'm like, what were you talking about? He goes, are you giving to your church? I said, yeah, I give every Sunday. He said, well, what do you give? I'm like, well, I give whatever's in my pocket. I just throw some cash in there. He's like, oh, there's your problem right there, Jeff. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he taught me the principle of a tithe. And basically the principle I was taught back in the day, and that, by the way, I I go well beyond that now, but I was taught that the foundational measure of giving for the believer is to give 10% of everything you have under the work of the Lord. And so I just started doing that as a new Christian and I've never not done that since then. But what was amazing is, is that as time went on, I recognized for me, the tithe was not enough. I wasn't going to let an old Testament law be the ceiling by which I express my gratitude and my faithfulness to God in a new Testament paradigm. And so, um, you know, my goal has always been give away as much of it as I can, not to frivolous things, but to, um, you know, to intentionally invest with generosity and joy into the kingdom of God. And can I tell you something? I have never had financial problems 
unless I did something foolish, like buy something I didn't need at a price I couldn't afford and put it on credit. And I went through a few years, especially when Amy and I got married early. We, we did with a lot of young couples. I, I say we, it was me. It wasn't her. Um, I, I wanted too much stuff too early on. And so for years, for several years, we were just, you know, hand to mouth, paycheck to paycheck. I wasn't making a ton of money back then. But here's the thing that I believe that God honored. I never quit tithing and I never quit giving. There were times where I would give money under the work of the Lord that I knew, practically speaking, I could have paid off that credit card or I could have paid off, um, you know, something I had bought, a car or something. And I just decided, no, I'm going to stick with generosity towards the Lord's work and I know he'll honor it. And he has, you know, again, I'm not just trying, and by the way, I'm actually got more to say than just my own testimony about giving, but I just want to say that because some of you think you're too poor to give. You think you're too broke to give, or you, you give with fear every time you divide your, you know, your net paycheck by 10% and you donate that 10% to the church. And you're like, Oh man, I don't know if I can do this. Well, I, I want to tell you whether you have much or you have little, God has called you to trust him that his plan for our finances as believers will be blessed. It ultimately is not about a mathematical formula. It's not really about a percentage. It's about a proportion. And when we think of giving, those who have much are to give more. Biblical New Testament principle. The more seed you have, the more lavishly you sow. And then God says, you will receive back a lavish bounty. But you may not have a lot of seed, but you are to still sow out of the seed that you have. You're still to give out of the money that you have. Um, Some foundational, I guess, foundational principles for, for giving that have impacted my life are found in 1 Timothy chapter number 6. Now, Paul is writing a young pastor named Timothy. He wrote 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, and Paul is mentoring Timothy. Timothy is Paul's son of the faith. And so Paul is constantly telling Timothy how to serve the people that he's leading, how Timothy should serve that church that he's leading, and how to teach them. So Paul is teaching teaching Timothy what to teach Christians, and he talks about money. And so when I've read that many, many years ago, decades ago, and I just started saying, okay, this is the word of God. So if it's the word of God, it has authority and it is truth. And so I started wrapping my approach to finances around everything that the Bible said, but especially in first Timothy six. And Paul says in verse number six of first Timothy six, he says, there is great gain in godliness with contentment. And then he adds in verse seven, we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Just stop there. A scriptural eternal truth is you're taking none of your monetary or physical possessions with you. You're going to die (laughs) and you're not taking your 401k if you have one, your investment portfolio if you have one, your house if you have one, your car, your clothes, your handbag. You're not taking any of your stuff with you, none of it. And so we have to immediately recognize the goal of the Christian life is not to accumulate a ton of earthly possessions. 
Now, you can still pursue wealth in the sense of, I want to generate wealth so I can sow it back into the kingdom. But most people don't do that. Most people, once they start generating wealth, even if they started off thinking it's going to be for the kingdom, it's going to be for the kingdom, it's going to be for the kingdom. I've seen so many people start to get some wealth on them. They get raises, they get promotions, they get bonuses, they get um, you know transfers into a new industry or a new job, and their finances start getting immediately blessed, and they're all of a sudden they get amnesia, and they forgot that, oh, they once sought out to gain wealth for the kingdom, but now it feels good to spend it on self. And Paul said, well, just you need to be aware you're not taking anything out of the world. We all leave the world naked and empty-handed. And so Paul then adds in 1 Timothy 6.80, listen to this. And American Christians, you hear this. This is the word of God. If we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. So I want to talk to you that are really anxious about not having a lot of money. Were you fed today? And do you have clothes on your back? It doesn't even mention shelter. That's what's interesting. It says, if you're fed and clothed, be content with the Lord. Now, that's going to that's going to cut some of you because you're going to think, Jeff, man, that's not God's will. He has blessed us. He's prospered us. He wants us to do all of, you know, have all these things. And we're, we're, we're walking in favor and we're walking in anointing and God's opening doors and, you know, we're the head, not the tail. Okay. That's great. That's fine. But if God's will for some of his children is to have food and clothing, he tells those people that's enough. That's enough for you. Can you be content in me if you don't have the big fancy house, if you don't have the nice car, if you're not, you know, flowing in whatever the latest styles and trends are? I don't know what they are. I buy my clothes off Amazon. But um, when, when we get to this place where we're looking at everybody else and all the stuff they have and we don't have that, it's a test of your spirit. Are you content with what you do have? Can you give great glory and gratitude to God because he fed you and he clothed you. So Paul is saying, hey, look, be godly with contentment because that's actually great gain. That's treasure. That's valuable. Your contentment with godliness. And he just reminds you, you didn't come into the world owning anything and you're not going to leave the world owning anything. He says, so be content with food and clothing. Now, pause here for a minute because I want to make sure you're hearing something that I haven't said, but I want you to remember this. You're not going to accumulate treasure on earth. Jesus actually said, don't live for that. Don't live to accumulate treasure on earth because thieves can take it. It can be corrupted. It can be taken away from you. You can lose it. Don't live to accumulate wealth to keep. And so we, we forget this other part of it. You can generate lots of treasure and send it ahead of you. Store up treasures in heaven is what Jesus said. Now, what does that mean? Because that's got to mean something. If Jesus said it, it's got to mean something. What's he talking about? Well, it's a secondary tier of, of this topic, but you're actually living your life now on earth, determining for yourself what your capacity is going to be in the coming kingdom. Meaning, Jesus said, I'm going to give everlasting rewards to those who are my, my father's children, those who are my followers, those who are Christians. I'm going to reward you all. But the reward 
is earned. You've got to get that. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ as Christians, our sins are not being judged because they've already been judged in Jesus. But the value of our life, the kingdom value of our life will be assessed by Jesus himself at what's called the Bema seat, the judgment seat. And when Jesus evaluates all of our life, what we did for him, the motivation with which we did it, what it cost us, how is our attitude as we currently or as we previously invested, sacrificed, sowed, and poured into the kingdom, that determines the measure of your reward in glory. And it is that measure of reward that you're going to operate in in the kingdom. So here's something that I love to tell people, especially, and you've heard me say it before, I'll say it again. We live in the everybody gets a first place trophy generation. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter if you won. It doesn't matter if you tried. It doesn't matter if you practiced. It doesn't matter if you disciplined. If you're on this team, I want you to know at the beginning of the season, everybody in the whole league gets a first place trophy. That's one of the dumbest most asinine things that American culture has ever done to our children. Because basically we've taught now a whole generation of children. It doesn't matter what you do. You're awesome. You're special. You're going to get the fair, equitable reward. And it doesn't matter what you do. Everybody wins first place. Okay. So Christians, that's fine for a stupid fallen culture to believe, but do you, are you starting to believe that about your life? Cause the Bible teaches the opposite that rewards are earned. So back to my original thought, my original thought was you can't live to accumulate treasures for yourself here on earth, but you can send them ahead of you. Glory. Hallelujah. We're actually sending our future reward, our riches, our treasure, our values. We're sending them ahead of us. They are stored up. Jesus said, store up for yourself treasure in heaven. How do you do that? By investing your treasure now into the things of God by faith. So your time is very, very valuable. And if you're not giving your time unto the things of God, then you're cheating yourself of all future reward. Money is valuable. You can do a lot of stuff with money down here on earth. But the best thing that a Christian can do with her money is to invest it into the kingdom of God. Sow into projects. Sow into the, the general fund of your home church. Sow into other ministries. Do it. And do it as unto the Lord. Why? Because every single time you do, you're making a moment of sacrifice unto the Lord. And the Lord says, great, that will be gaining interest in heaven. And so here's, here's another beautiful part. Amy and I were talking about this months ago. And one of the things that I didn't realize for years is when I store up for myself treasures in heaven, there are many times where I don't have to wait till I go to heaven to get those treasures. In other words, that, that, that treasure in a certain sense is available to me now in times of urgent need. You know what? I, listen, those of you that are faithful givers, you know this, you know this, that as you have built a lifestyle of disciplined and joyful giving both that means disciplined you give always no matter what you feel like no matter what bill you've got coming in you give because you know God said he would bless it he would bless it over and over and over again so you that have built up that lifestyle you know this that when a financial unexpected moment hits you 
Maybe it's a medical bill. Maybe it's a breakdown in your vehicle. Maybe it's a home repair. Maybe it's something that snuck up on you that you weren't prepared for. You know the peace that you have because you have that wonderful, what a gift to be able to say to yourself, okay, I didn't expect this, but God knows I've been honoring him with my finances. My Lord will provide. It's an amazing thing to be able to make a withdrawal out of your heavenly treasures, even while you're still on earth. You say, well, Jeff, how does that work? Well, what it, how it works is in those times of financial need, when they strike our lives unexpectedly, we're able to go before the Father to whom we have been faithful in previous weeks, months, and years of giving. And we're able to say, Father, I've honored you with my money, and now I have a financial need, and you said you'd take care of it, so thank you. I'll be looking for it. Now, some of you may think that's presumptuous or that's a little arrogant or bold. No, I just think it's faith. I think it's trust. My father said, when I take care of his stuff on earth and my wealth, my time, he says he will take care of me. So I get to be content. I get to be faithful. I don't have to have a poverty mindset worrying that if I don't hold back in my giving, I'm not going to be able to make my, my monthly bills. So let me finish. I'm going to go back to 1 Timothy 6. I hope that encouraged some of you, by the way. And encourage some of you that are giving, and maybe it's a tight season. He hasn't forgotten about you. Go go before the Lord and say, Lord, I need to make a withdrawal on the heavenly treasure. I need to pay this unexpected expense, or I'd like to bless in this area. Like you, It really is Jesus and the writers of the New Testament used the metaphor of planting seed to get a crop. Everybody wants a harvest, but not everybody wants to release the seeds they've been entrusted in. Like you don't just get a harvest, you have to work and prepare the field, you have to plant the seed, you have to tend to the shoot, then you have to work to go out there and bring in the harvest. Like it's hard work. It requires you releasing what you have in order to later receive what you don't have. And everybody's just showing up. It's like, where's my harvest, man? I want my where's my harvest? I'm a child of God. Well, you're still holding the seed. You're like what Haggai said in the book of Haggai. Uh, Haggai wrote, is the seed still in the barn? In other words, the reason why a lot of you are not blessed. Listen, I'm not being judgmental. I'm telling you truth. Somebody, this is what Scott Johnson, the guy who led me to Christ, told me a month, maybe a month and a half after I was saved. He said, the reason why you're broke, Jeff, is because you're not faithful in your giving. And it wasn't because I knew it and was withholding it. It's because nobody told me. I just was given what I had, you know, just thrown in some money from my pocket on a Sunday morning. And I did so with joy and simplicity of heart. But then I found out, oh, but wait a minute. Giving is not just supposed to be spontaneous. That is a part of it. Spontaneous giving is great. But giving is supposed to be calculated, intentional, and planned. You know, when, when you are making a big purchase, the first thing you ought to ask yourself, is if I make this purchase, will I be able to remain faithful in my giving? Will I be able to honor God the way I have, or even at a more greater level moving forward, if I buy this house, if I buy this car, if I go on this vacation, if I buy this handbag, if I whatever, whatever you can spend your money on, what what you, we've got to come to the place is, as Christians, we say God gets the first fruits. That means when I plan my finances. I plan my finances based upon any monies I have after I have been faithful in my giving. 
So there's a budgetary aspect to it. And so Paul ultimately goes and says to Timothy, he's like, hey, Timothy, teach your people to be very content with having food and shelter and teach them the greatest treasure they can go after is godliness or godlikeness, being like Jesus. Tell them, Timothy, that they brought nothing into the world and they're not going to take anything out of the world. So encourage them to quit living to get their hands wrapped around more stuff and more money. And then he gives a warning. And we might as well just go there because the Bible does. First Timothy 6, 9. Those who desire to be rich will fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Oh my. Let me read it again. Those who desire to be rich will fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, let me just ask you, because you're listening to Mavericks and Misfits, and a lot of you have been listening a long time, and you know that the Word of God is truth. You know that. So that means what I just read is true. This is a eternal truth. Those who desire to be rich will fall. Now, you have a chance right there. Do you believe your Bible or not? So there are people, Christians, that really want to be rich. They've got God as their you know, side gig. They're glad that they, Jesus died for them. They're glad that he rose again. They've asked Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, but they're living to be rich. And the Word of God says eventually those people will fall into certain temptations and snares that will plunge them as it has others into ruin and destruction. Now, again, you can desire to generate wealth and money in order to sow it into the kingdom. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about people that want to be rich for the sake of being rich, that want to have money for the sake of having money, that want to have all the stuff that money can provide. And that is a massive influence in the American culture and, quite frankly, all around the world because money um, presents itself as an alternative to God. That's why Jesus once said, you cannot serve God and wealth. You can't because you'll end up hating the one and loving the other and loving the one and hating the other. Because money says, I'll do everything for you that God can do. I'll take care of you. That's what money says. Money says, I'll give you everything you want. Money says that. And by the way, sometimes money says, I'll give you everything you want if you get enough of me. And God won't always do that. So you ought to go for me instead of God because God will limit you. And money says, I won't limit you. I'll give you the ability to satisfy every longing you have. You can buy whatever you want. You can impress whomever you want. You can go wherever you want. You can be the free, autonomous creature. You'll need nothing if you'll bow down and serve me and make me your chief desire. And then the word of God comes against that and says, yeah, if you desire that, you may accumulate all of that stuff, but where you'll end up, according to the word of God, is you'll get plunged into ruin and destruction. I don't, I don't even want to take the time to, to just, you know, give you detailed illustration, but you can look at the lottery winners, the people that win the mega millions and like millions upon millions of dollars. Most of those stories don't end well. And then you can look at Hollywood. Look at Hollywood. That is the epicenter of wealth and beauty and power and fame. 
they're miserable. None of them are happy. They're not happy, especially when they age out and everything that got them to that place is now gone. And so all they're doing is living off what their former wealth bought them. They're not happy people. Why do we want to be like them in the church? So many people imploding their lives. And Paul says the reason why, because it's 1 Timothy 16. He says, that love of money is the root of all kind of evil. It's through craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Um, wandered away from the faith is a pretty illustrative phrase. That means there were people that were once pursuing the Lord. They were once all about his kingdom, his eternal kingdom, his lasting kingdom, his e everlasting treasure, his reward, his glory, his fame. But then money showed up and they said, oh, I, I think I can do both. I think I can serve God wholeheartedly and serve money. Even though Jesus said, I can't, I think I can. I think I figured this one out. Most people can't, but I can. And so they start pursuing wealth. And as they do, the word of God comes true and they no longer are pursuing the Lord. And so Paul ends up saying in that same first Timothy six, he says, uh, for those who are rich in the present age, charge them not to be arrogant nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. It will all go away. Even if you die with all of it, you still die. And somebody else gets all the stuff that you accumulated. You get none of it. And then when you stand before the Lord, you're going to realize, oh, I wasted my life generating money that means nothing. In the eternal kingdom. If you do not use it intentionally, sacrificially, and regularly for the kingdom of God. And again, I will say this. Make as much money as you can for the glory of God while you're on earth. Do it. Some of you have an anointing for that. But don't become the statistic that starts off telling yourself, I'm doing it for the Lord. I'm doing it for the Lord. And five years later, you're not doing it for the Lord. You've just got bigger, newer, everything. But your internal uh, communication to your own self is, oh, I'm doing it for the Lord. But you're not. You're not sacrificial. You've increased your lifestyle, but haven't increased the value of what you gained in the kingdom. So don't do that. Riches are uncertain. That means you should have enough to fall back on, but you shouldn't live to keep accumulating because somebody else is going to get it. In the end, let me just tell you this. In the end, all of the wealth of the world before Jesus comes, do you know who gets it? Whoever is at the head of the global government, they are going to, uh, uh, they're going to um, take, they're going to appropriate all the wealth, and they're going to make uh, the world dependent upon them. And of course, y'all know who it is. It's the Antichrist, his Antichrist system. At the end of the age, remember what the Bible says. The Bible says, without the mark and the beast, you won't be able to use any wealth. You won't be able to buy. You won't be able to sell. You won't be able to do anything. Commerce is going to be controlled by the Antichrist government, and that's coming to a planet near you probably in your lifetime. And so all this money that people are generating and living for, and I got to get more, I got to get more, I got to get more. The Antichrist regime is going to own it. And so if you're not sending it ahead of you by investing it in the kingdom right now, then guys, all that stuff you're earning and working for and desiring and longing for is going to be actually tools in the hand of the Antichrist regime. 
So what is the answer? The answer is invest your money now in people, in the kingdom, in projects, in missions, in ministries. Do it now. Advance the gospel. Sacrifice to the kingdom. I think that we just missed that so long and so hard. doesn't mean you can't have a decent house. Listen, how much is enough? I don't know. You need to talk to the Lord about that. But I can tell you, it is very clear to me that all of us can live a little bit lower than the means that we want to live at. Because Jesus said, if you have clothing and you have food, you're blessed. And man, that flies in the face of American pride. All right, look, my time's gone. I may do a part two on this. I think I'm, I think I'm going to do a part two on this because I've got more to say on this issue. And I feel, I feel the Holy Spirit helping some of you. And so um, maybe tune in next week. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and commit. I'm going to do a part two next week on this topic. And so tune back in and we'll wrap it up. And listen, you can't avoid this. Come on now. Come on. You're not going to be a status quo American or wherever you're at. You're not going to be a status quo Christian, are you? Don't, don't be a maverick and a misfit until we start talking about money. And then you're going to get status quo Christian on Jeff. You're going to be like, no, nah, I don't believe that. My, what's mine is mine. I'm going to get as much of it as I can. Well, you just found your weak spot. And so if we can't be biblically committed in all areas, um, then I don't know how sincere we can say that we are. But if you can get there with this, if you can get radical in your faith about your money, you're definitely not a status quo Christian. You will be um, set apart by God. You will find a new anointing on your finances when you commit what you generate income-wise, when you commit it to the Lord. you'll You'll be so ridiculously blessed. And again, the goal is not so you can keep getting blessed and blessed and blessed and own it and own it and own it. God doesn't want you to view your finances or your approach to finances like you're a big bowl that he keeps filling. You're not a bowl, you're a pipe. A bowl holds everything it gets. A pipe pours what it gets out the other end into something else. So view yourself that way in your finances. We'll talk to you next time on Mavericks and Misfits. God bless. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Mavericks and Misfits. If you were helped by what Jeff shared today, please take a moment to rate and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or Spotify. Your review helps us enlarge our digital footprint to reach more potential listeners every week. Also, please take advantage of the free written and video resources made available at transformingtruth.org. Join us again every Tuesday for a brand new episode of Mavericks and Misfits.